0: Thank you Dusty for reading our scripture. We're gonna be looking at Genesis chapter one, the passage read a moment ago. As we think about God the creator in our study tonight, very quickly I do want to express appreciation to you for your presence tonight. We're sparse in number, got a lot of folks on the road and we wanna keep them in our prayers as they travel. It's vacation time and people as you well know through the summer are coming and going. And so we always want to remember those who are traveling. And Also, let me just express appreciation to those of you who are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We're grateful for your presence tonight and hope you'll come back and be with us again. I'm going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1 as we think about the topic, God the Creator. And I want to do this lesson in a very simplistic way. I've I've got a couple of things I want to share with you. I want to begin tonight by talking about the days of creation and then secondly, the design of creation. A very simplistic lesson, one that all of us ought to be able to grasp. And in looking to the scriptures, there are a lot of things that are said about the origin of man, the origin of the universe in which we live. There are a lot of people in our world today, they deny the existence of God. They believe that we are the products of chance, and yet the evidence is overwhelming in favor of intelligent design. And so, in our study, let's begin by talking about the days of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, down through the first part of chapter 2, we have Moses recording for us the order of creation. And God created the world as we know it, the universe, including man, in six literal days. The Hebrew word for days is spelled Y-O-M, Yom. It is always used as a literal 24-hour day when paired first with numerals And secondly, with evening and morning. And you can examine what Moses records in Genesis chapter 1 and into chapter 2 regarding the days of creation. Six days of creation. Before I make reference to the days of creation, let me just say this. All three members of the Godhead were involved in the creation of the world and mankind. God was the architect. Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, was the agent by which the world was made. The Holy Spirit was, as some would say, the finisher, the beautifier. Now, the Bible tells us in many passages of Scripture that Jesus, the Word, the second member of the Godhead, was the agent by which the world came into existence. You remember in John chapter 1, John said, speaking of Christ, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul in that context in about verse 15 said, All things were made through him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were made by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. So the idea is that God was not only the creator, but He is also the sustainer. I mentioned a moment ago that the acts of creation took place in six literal days. In Exodus chapter 20 at verse 11... Moses said, in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. Now there are people in our world today that have difficulty accepting the Genesis account, particularly when it comes to the literal days of creation. But think about this. If God had the power to speak the world into existence, and he did, why should it be any trouble for us to accept what the Bible says with regard to the days of creation? The psalmist said in the long ago, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He went on to say he spoke and it was done. He commanded, it stood fast. So it's in light of that that Moses records these words. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. We talk about God speaking the world into existence. Well, that's exactly what he did. Day one of creation based on chapter one verses two through five in the book of Genesis. God created the earth, light and darkness. Day two, God created the heavens, and that's found in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Day 3, God created the dry land, seas, and vegetation, as found in chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Day 4, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, chapter 1, verses 14 through 19. Day 5, God created living creatures in the water and the birds in the air. Day 6, God created the land animals and mankind. And note, if you would, very specifically, dropping down to verse 26. We talk about everything that God made in creation, including man. In verse 26, God said, Let us, note the plural there, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And the Bible says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he them. Now, a couple of observations about creation. First, if you look at chapter 1, verse 11, there's a divine principle here that we ought to keep in mind when we talk about creation. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 11 God said let the earth bring forth grass The herb that yields seed And the fruit tree that yields fruit According to its kind Every seed brings forth After its own kind Doesn't it? Corn seed produces what? Butter beans? No Green beans? No Corn seed brings forth corn and that is a divine law that was set in motion in creation now having said that we talk about the animal kingdom the plant kingdom and then what about the human species just as corn brings forth corn seed brings forth corn mankind brings forth what mankind we are not the products, as some espouse and some believe, we are not the products of apes. Now there are a lot of people in our world today, believe it or not, and many of you have heard this time and again, have the idea that we are the products of some type of ape. Well, that's false to the core. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Genesis account, mankind is set apart and distinct from every other created being. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, the Bible says God is spirit. So how then are we made in the image and the likeness of God? Well, one way, or one way we are made in the image and the likeness of God is God has given us the ability to make choices in life, hasn't he? He has endowed us with the freedom of choice, the freedom of will. Secondly, we have been made in the image and the likeness of God in the sense that we possess an eternal dimension. There is something different from us than that which exists in the animal kingdom. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 9 that God is the father of our spirit. There is housed within each and every one of us an eternal soul. That soul will live forever somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, when Solomon talks about the fact that the human body goes through the aging process and ultimately yields to death, he said that at death, the body returns to what? To the dust. From whence it was taken... And he said, the spirit returns to God who gave it. So who gave us life? God did. In Genesis chapter 2 at verse 7, the Bible tells us that God breathed into the nostrils of man and he became a living soul. We have been made in the image and the likeness of God. We have an outward man and an inward man. The outward man will ultimately decay, give way to death. The inward man will live forever. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul could say the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now there's a second thing I want to call attention to. It has to do with the design of creation. And there's some fundamentals that I want to call attention to, particularly in chapter 1 in verse 1 of the book of Genesis. There was an English philosopher, he was a biologist as well, and he he was educated in empirical sciences by his father. His name was Herbert Spencer. He was born in 1820, he died in 1903. And he said in the long ago that there are five basic fundamentals to science. Those basic fundamentals are time, force, Action, space, and matter. Now here's what's interesting. Look at Genesis chapter 1 in verse 1. Spencer didn't he didn't originate this idea. He just discovered it. Here's what the text says. In the beginning, that's time. God, that is force. Created, that's action. The heavens, that's space. And the earth, what is that? That's matter, isn't it? So there you have the five basic fundamentals of science in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, time, God, force, created action. The heavens, space. And the earth, matter. Five basic fundamental principles upon which science stands. Now, with regard to some facts and creation. Let me ask this question. How did we get here? What are the possibilities? You well know that there are any number of people that will tell tell you that we are the products of chance. That's what those who believe in organic evolution suggest. Some would say that something spontaneously came into being out of nothing. God made something out of nothing, didn't he? But this world, the world in which we live, did not just spontaneously come into being. There was no Big Bang Theory, some cataclysmic explosion that brought all of this together. Not at all. In 1976, there was an interesting debate that was held in the state of Texas. The debate took place between Dr. Thomas B. Warren who was a member of the church, college professor. As a matter of fact, he was a graduate school professor. And a man by the name of Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew was a world-renowned atheist. As a matter of fact, he was probably the leading atheist in his field. In that debate, Dr. Warren absolutely destroyed the arguments presented by Dr. Flew. And Dr. Warren pointed out in the process or during the course of this debate that the arguments that Dr. Flew presented, he said they were the absolute best that could be presented. And he said Dr. Flew, from the vantage point of of his way of thinking, would have been considered preeminent in his field. The problem wasn't with the man. The problem was with what? The arguments. Dr. Flew assumed a proposition, and this was a bold proposition. He said, I know that God does not exist. That is a bold, bold proposition. Well, Dr. Warren debated him, and destroyed those arguments. What's interesting to me is that Dr. Flew died April the 8th, 2010. I want to read for you something. As a matter of fact, I went back. I watched some of the debate between Dr. Warren and Dr. Flew. I also watched a brief, a brief interview with Dr. Flew that was probably maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, in which Dr. Flew changed his position with regard to being an atheist. And what he said was absolutely astounding to me. Let me just read for you very quickly what he said. And by the way, just... I guess a very brief synopsis of what he said was that the integrated complexity of this world led him to the conclusion that there had to be intelligent design. Now, there were people in the world of science that thought, you know what, this old guy is senile. He doesn't know what he's talking about. The fact of the matter was, he did know what he was talking about. Now, he didn't come to believe in a personal God he would have been what we would call a deist. But he did come to believe in a supreme being, intelligent design, and I have to believe that that debate that occurred between him and Dr. Warren in 1976 had a profound impact upon him. And you think about that seed principle. Seed germinates, doesn't it? Over time, Dr. Flew had the opportunity to think about that debate and to examine the evidence. Very quickly, let me read for you what he had to say. He viewed himself as a negative atheist. He asserted that theological propositions can neither be verified nor falsified by experience. And so, he says, After months of soul searching, he concluded... That research into DNA had shown by the most unbelievable complexity of the arrangements, which are needed to produce life, that intelligence must have been involved. Now think about that. We're talking about a world-renowned atheist, somebody that has been highly esteemed in the community of science. He's looked up to by his peers, and now he comes out, and says, I don't believe that anymore. He made, a, he made a video of his conversation entitled, Has Science Discovered God? And the writer here says that he seemed to want to atone for past errors. And here's what he said, quote, unquote. As people have certainly been influenced by me, I want to try and correct the enormous damage I may have done. It's sad in one respect that Dr. Flew never came to embrace a personal God. But I give him credit for coming to the conclusion that there is a God. And so, here's a man of science... And he's saying, after much research, much thought, the conclusion, this world is not the product of chance. Now you can go back and you can look at some of the people in science, people like Carl Sagan. Sagan is now deceased. But he talked about the improbability of evolution occurring. The minute possibility of that. And yet so many people believe it. And why do they believe it? Because for them, it is a favorable alternative to creationism. They can't believe in creationism. And yet the Bible tells us how we originated. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us where we came from, what we're doing here, and where we're headed. Nothing else. Now, very quickly. Let me share with you something. We talk about this design argument. Let me just illustrate it like this a couple of ways. I've got something I want to read for you about the human brain. But I was thinking this afternoon about this podium. What's this podium made of? Wood. Where'd the wood come from? From a tree. Okay. Where'd the tree come from? From a seed. All right. Who made the seed? God did. Now think about that. Something as simple as a podium. Made out of wood. This podium had a designer, didn't it? Now if this podium had a designer, the pews we're sitting in tonight, they had a designer. This auditorium had a designer. This building, a designer. The home you live in, a designer. The the automobile you drive, a designer. The clothes you're wearing. Somebody designed the clothes you're wearing. So if that's the case, why in the world would we take the position that the world is not the product of design? The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, every house is built by some man. But he that built all things is God. I mentioned the corn seed a minute ago. Some people that battle diabetes have to stay away from certain types of food, don't they? It's incredible how many things are made from the corn seed. Well, who made that corn seed? God did, didn't he? Now, there are a lot of chips and cereals that are, that, are, that are the products of the corn seed, but ultimately, God made the seed, didn't he? Tonight, when we step outside and look up into the heavens, we'll see, we'll see the stars, we'll see the moon. Well, who put all that there? God did. Let me just read for you Something that I think helps to impress upon us The design of the human body Now bear in mind that the psalmist said in Psalm 139 That we have been fearfully and wonderfully made I cannot begin to fathom the complexity of the human body But I know this Every single part of my body Has design, detail Well who did did all that? God did Our ears, our eyes, our fingers, our hands, our legs, our feet. There is a purpose for every part, isn't there? I may have told this before, but years ago when I was preaching at Cordova, there was a member there that had lost his arm, actually, lost his shoulder in Vietnam. They had to remove his shoulder and arm because, as he said, he believed he came in contact with Agent Orange. And so he talked to me at length about the difficulties of trying to navigate through life with one arm and the immense pain that he had at times, the phantom pain. What was interesting to me, an arm, a mechanical arm was made for him. If I recall correctly, that arm cost about $15,000. And they strapped it on him, and it looked, I guess, for a prosthetic arm, it looked real. And he wore it a little bit, and then he quit wearing it. So it was too heavy, too cumbersome, just didn't want to fool with it. Now, think about that for a minute. He had the best prosthetic arm money could buy. I imagine. And yet that arm was not even comparable to the arm that God gave him. What does that say about design? What does that say about the God that fashioned us, as the psalmist said? Now, let me read for you something that Kyle, that Kyle Butts said with regard to the human brain. Here's what he writes Inside your head is an organ that weighs about three pounds. Doctors who operate on this organ say that it feels like unbaked bread dough when you touch it or hold it in your hands. He said this doughy organ we call the brain certainly is not a loaf of bread. On the contrary, it is the most complex computer the world has ever known. Now, listen to this. The brain is composed of over 10 trillion different cells. These cells work together to send electrical impulses at a rate of 273 miles per hour. 393 feet per second. Nerve cells in the body send 2,000 impulses to the brain every second. These impulses come from 130,000 light receptors in the eye, 100,000 hearing receptors in the ears, 3,000 taste buds, and over 500,000 touch spots. Did you get all that? It's amazing. He said, as this is happening, the brain does not move. Yet it consumes over 25% of the body's oxygen, receives 20% of all the blood that is pumped from the heart. He goes on to say that the brain makes up only about 2% of the body weight of an average man. Then he talks about these quote-unquote brainy abilities. He said, consider that the brain serves as the doctor, quote-unquote, for the rest of the body. It produces more than 50 drugs, ranging from painkillers like endorphins to antidepressant drugs like serotonin. In addition, the brain allows you to remember words, smell, pictures, colors. In fact, the brain is so good at allowing a person to remember information, it has been estimated that it would, it would require or take 500 sets of encyclopedias to hold the information found in the brain. Now let me ask this question. How in the world could anybody conclude that the brain is the product of chance? Does that sound logical to you? The bottom line is the brain is not the product of chance. Nor is the eye, the ears, your hands, your legs. We are the products of an almighty God, aren't we? Now there are other things that we could discuss tonight, but because of limitations of time we're going to close now. But I simply want to say this in closing God is our creator, and because he is our creator, he is worthy of our worship. The psalmist said, Let us come and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We come every first day of the week to pay homage to the God who created us in his image and likeness. We serve him because he's worthy of our reverence, awe, and service. The Bible tells us that the God that we serve is a personal God. This personal God loves us to the extent that He spared not His own Son and freely gave Him up for each and every one of us. The Bible tells us that we are extremely precious in the eyes of Almighty God. Every single one of us Are precious to Him. The Bible tells us that the very hairs of our head are numbered. God knows us inside and out. And God wants the very best for us. And ultimately what God desires is that we would choose to be a part of His family. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. If you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the gospel, could I encourage you to come to Christ. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And based upon that belief, willingly walk away from a life of sin through repentance, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10:32. Be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be forgiven, Acts 2:38. And then be faithful, Revelation 2:10. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to his cause, could we pray with you and for you? John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand tonight and sing?